In 2020, there was a couple throwing a gender reveal party in San Bernardino. This couple wanted to figure out, okay, we want to know what, what, what's the gender of, of our child. They went and had someone get a smoke bomb. Smoke bomb. They said, okay, the smoke bomb's going to go off. If it's blue, we know our child is a boy. And if it's pink, we know our child is a girl. And they said, great. They're throwing their party. They're excited. The smoke bomb goes off, and they find out the gender of their child, which I don't know, but they are excited, and they're celebrating. But then all of a sudden, a turn of events takes place. As that smoke bomb goes off, a little bit of that smoke bomb ignition, that spark, catches some dry grass and lights that dry grass on fire. The party takes a turn of events as people start grabbing water bottles and trying to put out this fire as it spreads rapidly through the grass. As this fire keeps spreading, it keeps growing, and it grows so big that it has become known as the El Dorado Fire. This fire ended spreading rapidly, and it burned 22,744 acres from this fire. This fire lasted 71 days long, 71, spreading through the mountains, spreading through the hills of San Bernardino and surrounding counties. It burned down 20 buildings. Families had to be evacuated. Communities had to be pulled aside from this gender reveal party that created this big fire. It cost $42 million to put out this fire. As firefighters were working to put it out, one firefighter lost his life putting out this fire along with 13 other individuals who got injured because of this fire. I mean, think about that. Talk about a turn of events at a, at a very fun gender reveal party. You go from, oh man, we're celebrating life to this mass destruction this chaos, this over two-month-long fire that took someone's life because of a little spark, because of a little bit of fire caused a big damaging effect. I think you know where I'm going just from that intro. The Bible compares our words to that of a fire, to that even of a small fire and how a small fire can have big catastrophic consequences, so too does James chapter 3 say that our words can have. I want you to turn there right, right now. James chapter 3. See, if we don't understand what James wants us to know as he pens these words, as he writes down what God would want him to write down, if we don't understand how damaging our words can be, and we don't understand the significance of what comes out of our mouth, man, you can cause so much destruction, cause so much division, cause so much hurt in other people's life, cause so much consequences. I mean, think about wars that have taken place. How many wars have taken place over words said from one nation to another? Plenty of them. How many lost friendships have, have taken place? Plenty. How many lies? Think about false religions that have spread, false ideas about God that have ran rampant throughout churches and throughout societies. Why? Because of someone's words spreading that. See, I don't want us to be damaging with our speech, so we need to understand what James says here, verses five through eight. Look down at your Bibles. So 
read the first half of verse 5, which, which we hit on last week, and keep going from there. It says this, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Tongue small, not very big, big impact. Here's an example. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. I mean, we just talked about in the intro. I mean, I think they realized pretty quickly that, man, a little fire can do a lot of damage. I mean, those people who caused that fire um, uh, had lawsuits against them, misdemeanors and felonies put onto them, um, manslaughter is, I believe, what one of them were uh, found guilty with. I mean, talk about little fire can cause a big impact. And it's interesting as you, just that one sentence, how great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. The phrase there, how great and small, you wouldn't think this, but it's actually the same word in Greek. And it really just means how much. So you could reread like how much a forest is set ablaze by how much fire. It's like, think about a forest. How much fire does it take to put how much a forest ablaze on fire? Well, from that example, you, you can assume and infer from that, man, it doesn't take very much, just a little bit. Verse 6 brings over the comparison, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It's like the power that you have in your tongue comes a lot of sinfulness. That's the idea of unrighteousness, things that aren't right, things that aren't good. A lot of that comes from your mouth, which you say. It says the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. It impacts all of us, our words. Setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. I mean, think about that one sentence right there. I mean, it's easy for us to think of our words and it's like, oh man, yeah, it can be so kind and so encouraging and yeah, words are a good thing. And you know, you know, in some countries where maybe they don't have as much freedom of speech, man, it's good that we can just say whatever I want. I think this kind of readjusts our thinking about our words that the tongue set among our members stains our body, impacts us, setting on fire the entire course of life. It's like the life that you live, you could create this fire, just starting fires wherever you go and set on fire by hell. Where do those sinful words come from? Well, what happens if you let those sinful words keep going, man, punishment comes. Verse seven, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So think of all the animals out there. Think of all the wild animals that you could think of. Lions, we've tamed them. Tigers, we've tamed them. Whales, go to SeaWorld, look at Shamu. It's like, we've tamed them all. Look at all these animals. It's like, but the the tongue, no human being can tame the tongue. Does that mean that when there's a situation where you're like, man, I need to hold back my tongue, that no person can ever at any point hold back something that they, that they want to say, but they say, oh, I shouldn't, that that's not possible? No, but it's, what it's really saying is no one, like a trophy on your wall, can hang up, oh, I've got the achievement of taming the tongue, like I've done it, like I've caught elephants and rhinoceroses and right next to it, I've done it, I've completed it, I've tamed the tongue. No, not able to do it. Restless evil full of deadly poison. Your words is damaging and can be as damaging as fire, as damaging as a wild animal, as damaging as poison. I mean, think about that. 
We need to recognize the great harm, the great damage, the great destruction that can come from our speech. It's a lot. See, controlled words, like controlled fire, can do much good. I mean, how many of us have been to the beach and done a bonfire? Anybody? It's like, I mean, would you be like, oh man, that fire was really bad. It's like, no, it's good. You're cozy up around it. I mean, you're, you're putting your hands up. You got the, the s'mores there and the marshmallows roasting them. It's like, man, that's a really good thing. Controlled fire in a proper setting is a good thing, but reckless fire running through the mountains, great damage. So too, controlled animals, domesticated is maybe the term that you would use more. Your pets, it's like, man, that's a good thing. I mean, some of your pets, some of them are a little maybe less domesticated or controlled than others, and yeah, you know who I'm talking about. It's like, well, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. But how about a wild animal? Oh, yeah, I'm just going to go hang out with that, that bear, that black bear over there. And it's like, oh, it's, maybe you don't want to do that. Oh, yeah, the lion. I'm going to go hug the, the wild lion in, in the South African dead. It's like, probably not a good thing. But controlled, good, uncontrolled, bad thing. See, we need to recognize our words can do a lot of damage, and oftentimes they do. Point number one I want you to identify your destructive speech. Identify, pinpoint the words that you say that are harmful, that can be damaging, can be destructive. I mean, our speech can cause such a big impact, even one word. I mean, that's what's trying to be conveyed in James 3, 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Small thing, big impact. Once you turn, once you write down that point, to Judges chapter 12. Judges chapter 12. I mean, one passage that I think illustrates the power of our words, I think is Judges chapter 12, which may be a passage you're not familiar with. What's so interesting about this passage is some person loses their life over pronouncing one word incorrectly. What? Think about this. In Judges chapter 12, maybe a passage you're not familiar with, a guy pronounces a word differently and loses his life. It's kind of an interesting passage. Judges chapter 12. Give you some background. In this passage, there's a battle taking place between two groups of people, the men of Gilead and the men of Ephraim. And these Two groups of people are separated in between by the Jordan River. And they're supposed to be brothers on the same side, but they're fighting against each other, separated by this river. And this is where we catch up to it now. Judges 12, verse 4. It says, Then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. So Jephthah, who's kind of the leader, the one in charge of Gilead, is fighting with Ephraim, those two groups of people. And the men of Gilead struck Ephraim. So they go and attack because they said, you are fugitives of Ephraim, you Gileadites, in the midst of Ephraim and Manasseh. So they clearly don't like each other. There's a, a conflict taking place and they're fighting. Verse five. And the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. So the fords of the Jordan, kind of the passageway across the Jordan, one group of people, the Gileadites, had captured it. So people of Ephraim, not really able to pass to and fro unless they get the go-ahead from the men of Gilead, the, the other side. It says this, And when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, Let me go over, the men of Gilead said to him, Are you an Ephraimite? So the men of Gilead are the ones in control of this passageway, 
And they're trying to say, man, the people passing, we'd want our friends to pass through and not our enemies. So they ask him, hey, are you an Ephraimite? Are you a foe? One of those Ephraimites? Are you a friend of Gilead? The men of, uh, goes on, it says, the men of Gilead said, are you Ephraimite? When he said, no, so he's saying, hey, no, I'm on your side. They said to him, then say, Shibboleth. Shibboleth, which is a term that sometimes they say means grain, other times means river. I think maybe in this context it might be um, being referred to say, say river. And they, the men of Gilead said it a certain way, and they said it and pronounced it Shibboleth. But guess what? Men of Ephraim said it differently, and he said it Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. That's like if there's a can of soda or let's say a can of root beer here on the stage, and I say, hey, what is that? And you say, oh, it's pop. It's like, oh, you're a foe. You're one of those East Coast people. Like, <laughs> you're not us West Coast. That's a can of soda, not pop. Or like other parts of the country say it's Coke. It's like, oh, clearly you're not from around here. You're part of the other side. That's kind of what's happening here. One group of people would say it's Shibboleth. Others would say Sibboleth. And so for them figuring out whether they were friend or foe is actually quite ingenious was, hey, say this word. And that slight difference, they figured out, hey, guess what? You're part of the enemy. Guess what happens? They seized him, slaughtered the enemy, him, at the fords of the Jordan. At that time, 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell. It's like, whoa. I mean, think about that. Got killed because he didn't say the word right. It's like, I mean, I think right there, you realize, man, yeah, saying one word incorrectly could have a big impact. And not just in that context, man, if we think about not just pronouncing a word, it's like, oh, man, because they're from the South and they say things differently. Like, wow, that's very destructive. No, not really necessarily destructive because of how we say certain things. Or, oh, man, they speak a different language, so they're very destructive. No, it's the content of what we say that can be so harmful. The words and the meaning behind those words that can cause so much damage. I think this one verse is really impactful. Romans 3.13, write this down. Romans 3, if you remember, it's talking about the sinfulness of man. And right before verse 13 is the verse that says, no one is good, no, not one. No one seeks after God. So saying, hey, mankind is sinful, gives some explanation. Verse 13, it says, their throat is an open grave. Whoa. When describing mankind's words. Oh, yeah, your words, guess what? It's like a grave. It's like death. Not a good thing. Why? They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Asps is a certain type of snake. Say, hey, your words are like a grave. Your words are like poison from a snake. I looked up, just out of curiosity, the most poisonous or venomous snake. It's an inland taipan. Um, inland taipan. One one drop of venom from this snake can kill a hundred people. Think about that. Talk about the damage of like the venom of a snake. That put that one drop into all of us. Guess what? Everyone in this room, dead. The power of that venom in the snake. Scripture here in Romans 3 compares the damaging effect of venom from snakes to our words can be so destructive, so impactful. A world of unrighteousness is what James 3 describes it as. So much harm can come from it. 
And I want us to think about different categories of destructive speech that I think we might fall prey to. And some of those categories are found in Colossians 3, verse 8. So if you're quick, go there really quickly. Colossians 3, verse 8. Let's think through. If we said identify your destructive speech, it's easy for us to say, oh yeah, sometimes I say words that are harmful. But what types of words can be harmful? Colossians 3, 8, when it's giving lists of put off, don't do these things, and put on. Here's an example of what to put off. Don't do this. Categories of speech are hit, hit on in verse 8. It says, but now... You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice. Stop right there. I think that's one category of speech that you should write down. Angry speech. Wrathful speech. Speech with the intention of doing evil. That's what malice is. Intending to cause harm, to do wrong towards someone else. With your words. Oh, I know if I say this right thing, I clap back and say this towards someone else, man, they're going to be hurt, and I've got the upper hand. You're in an argument, and you just burst out. It's a category of angry speech. Proverbs 26, 21 says, as charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Say, are you a quarrelsome individual? Someone always trying to seek out fights? So I'm always trying to disagree in some way, like to be a debater or just frivolous arguments, get angry, frustrated quickly. Angry speech, I think, is one category that we need to be careful of. Colossians 3 goes on, if you're still there. It says, put this away, anger, wrath, malice, which kind of fall under one category, I think, of angry speech. Next, slander. What slander is is spreading false and malicious things about other people. Spreading lies with the intent of harming others. You someone who slanders other people? I mean, slanders may be more hitting on, like, lies, things that aren't true, but even things that are true. Think about those. I mean, you could spread things that are genuinely true about that person that damages their reputation or hurts how people view that person. I mean, it could be true that your friend smells awful all the time. It's like, I'm not lying, but why are you going and spreading that to everybody else? Why are you talking about that? Why are you bringing that up? I think some subcategories under here are gossip. Gossip. Maybe that's more hitting on things that are true and spreading, oh, did you hear who so-and-so likes? Oh, yeah, they like, oh. And then all of a sudden it goes, oh, did you hear who so-and-so likes? And all of a sudden, one thing that was shared to you, the whole entire school or the entire narrow knows because gossiping or spreading secrets. Someone tells you something in confidence, and yet you're going to go behind their back and spread it all around. As I was thinking about gossip or slander or rumors, it made me think of VeggieTales. Any VeggieTale fans out there? You guys seen uh, the rumor weed episode of VeggieTales? Yeah? Okay, cool. It wasn't just me. I was like, I mean, that, if you haven't, you can look it up. It's on YouTube when you get home. Um, it's like the rumor weed where it's like Junior says something that's like not true to this like, this like 
weed that's alive because vegetales. Um, I mean, they're talking vegetables, so I guess anything can be alive. So this, this uh, weed that should have been killed is there. And then all of a sudden it starts growing because this rumor starts spreading around town and grows bigger, bigger. And then Larry Boy's got to come in and try to like take down this weed, weed and he can't do it. Um, and it just grows and grows until the like whole town is like in chaos. And it's like, man, I think they did a good, really good job right there of illustrating the damage that can come from our words, speaking specifically of rumors that are spread, gossip, slander. I think it all falls under the same category. Colossians 3.8. So anger, wrath, malice, put that away. Slander. How about this? Obscene talk. Obscene talk. Obscene talk. Maybe you think of the word obscenity. Things that shouldn't be seen. Things that, oh man, that's inappropriate. You talk about those things. Think well, also fun, falls under that category. Foolish joking, things that you shouldn't be joking about. Do you participate in that at school? Oh, well, I'm not doing the talking. Are you in conversations where you just passively sit there and allow that, those things to be discussed? I mean, I went to a private Christian school in seventh and eighth grade, and it was so common amongst the students to be having this type of conversations before I was a Christian. So commonplace. Do we put up with that? So harmful, so damaging. Colossians 3, are you still there? Put these away from you. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Be done with it. Verse 9, do not lie to one another. Are you a liar? Oh, it's just a little white lie. It doesn't really matter. What matters to God? He cares about it. Your lie, say to someone else, just like rumors, can go to someone else and causes big consequences, lies being spread. I mean, sadly, I think that there are some people in this room who lie so often that Sometimes they get confused. You get confused of like, man, am I, am I saying the truth or am I, am I lying right now because I lie to my leaders in small groups about how I'm doing with uh, my quiet time or uh, this certain area because I want to make myself look better or I lie to my friends because I don't want to look like a loser so I got to act like I'm better than I am or I lie to my parents about if I did my chores, if I did them excellently, I cheat on my tests and I lie and I say, yeah, I did it honestly when I was just cheating at home. Are we liars? Fabricating the truth. Maybe telling a story of something that happened in your past, but you kind of make the details seem bigger, what you did seem more important, so that you come off better. It's lying. Here's another category. Flattery. Flattery. Psalm 55, 21 says, His speech was as smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Flattery. Well, what is flattery? Flattery is something, saying something nice to someone else with wrongful intent or with the intent of really getting something out of it. I like this definition that I saw. Flattery, it's kind of long, but maybe you want to write this down. Insincere. An undeserved praise 
used with the intention of gaining favor with others. Insincere and undeserved praise with the intention of gaining favor with others. I'd be like you being out of the pickleball court, going up to some person that you think is cool but sucks at pickleball, and you say, wow, you're, you're like the best at pickleball. Yeah, you're insincere. You don't mean it. Yeah, you're the best. Well, why are you saying that? Oh, because maybe they're going to want to be friends with me. So I'm just going to praise them. Oh, you're great. So that maybe I get something out of it. Another think subcategory of flattery could be saying things that uh, saying things towards your leader that you don't really mean so that your leader looks favorably upon you. Whereas really what's in your heart is, man, yeah, I wasn't really sincere about that. Wasn't genuine. Didn't really mean that. God's not pleased with that. Grumbling is another category. I mean, how many have we had so far? Angry speech, slander, obscene talk, lying, flattery, grumbling. I think it's so interesting if you've been doing the DBR with us, and we just read about the, the exodus that took place. I mean, think about it. The Israelites were literally in forced labor in Egypt. Like, it's like, they didn't wake up saying, oh, what do I want to do today? Like, no, you're going to be put to these tasks that you're going to do. And then guess what? We're going to take away some of these materials for you to make bricks, and you're going to have to still put out the same input. And God, miraculously through sending plagues, sets them free from Egypt. And they're like, sweet, yeah, praise God. And then they get to the Red Sea, and then all of a sudden Pharaoh decides to change his mind for like the 50th time, and it's like, Pharaoh, make up your mind. Um, bipolar Pharaoh over here. It's like, oh, yes, no. It's like, whoa. Um, Pharaoh's like, no, I'm actually going to go after them. And then they're freaking out again, like, oh, man, what, what are we going to do? And then God splits the sea, and they're literally walking through the middle of the sea miraculously, pass through it. As the Egyptians go through, God closes it up, and they're set free. And they praise God, they rejoice, they sing, which was titled in one of the chapters, the Song of Moses. Well, guess what? You can't even get out of the chapter until they say, oh, God, we don't have any water. And they start complaining. Oh, Moses, what are you doing? Literally one chapter later, they're complaining about their food. <laughs> oh, man. I know I've said this before, like the cucumbers in Egypt, that was so good. It's like, What? Literally within that same next chapter, they're complaining about water again. Oh, we don't have water. And they're grumbling against Moses. And we laugh at them. We say, oh, they're so stupid, those Israelites. How do they complain? Like they, they were literally just praising God and the next minute now they're complaining. How stupid are they? But yet here we are at church and we listen to sermons and maybe you're at main service and you sing praises to God and right after service, your parents say, oh, you know, we're not going to go out to eat. We're, we're going to eat leftovers at home. And you go, oh, leftovers. What difference is that? Oh yeah, Israelites, so dumb. They're worshiping God in the next minute. They're complaining. You can literally be here at church, and I know because I was in junior high, I was sitting in those seats, and sometimes I was tempted to think, oh man, I hope we go out to eat after lunch. Like, and then my parents say, oh, leftover meatloaf. It's like, oh, we're grumbling. And you don't think about it as, man, I'm complaining against God, but every grumble, every grumble and every complaint that you make is saying, I deserve something different. And 
what you're saying is if you deserve something different, I deserve something that God has not given to me. So every complaint, every grumble, it's ultimately against God. He cares about it. We don't deserve better. But yet grumbling is so destructive. I mean, even towards someone else, you grumble against your parents, it's, it's a fracture in that relationship. Another category, prideful boasting, exaggerating, which is lying, I think also falls under this category. Making yourself look better in front of your friends, your leaders, people that you like. Here's another category, just going quick here at the end, blasphemy. Blasphemy, which is taking things that are holy, things that are good, and making them lesser. Example is this, taking the name of the Lord in vain. In Leviticus chapter 24, there's someone, a a son, who blasphemes, it says, literally blasphemed the name and cursed. It's kind of like taking the name of the Lord in vain. That guy was put to death in Leviticus chapter 24 because of how serious that was. And yet I went to public high school. Some of you guys are going to go off to public high school. You can't walk down a hallway at school without hearing the name of the Lord in vain. OMG, being dropped, and things like that. Do we engage in that? Are we a part of those conversations? Do we hang out with people that participate using those kind of words? I mean, cursing. Let's, Let's go to there. Do we engage in that? Oh, no, I definitely know. But what we do is we make up words that sound like cuss words, and we say, oh, I'm fine, because I didn't say the cuss word. I just said the thing that was close to it, because that's okay. Is God pleased with that? I mean, how many categories do we hit on right there? Angry, slander, obscene, lying, flattery, grumbling, prideful boasting, blasphemy, cursing, nine. And hopefully in small groups, you're going to be able to think through even other categories of destructive speech as well. You see that they are so damaging and harmful. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. No corrupting talk. All those things, corrupting talk. Okay, Nathan, so I just need to try harder and do a little bit better about not talking that way. We need to see that goes a little bit deeper than that. It's easy for us to say, okay, I'm just going to focus this week on, you know, not saying destructive speech. Great. Good answer in small groups. Great. I've, I've solved it. I'm just going to think a little bit more about my words. You see, it's, it's deeper than that. Point number two, you need to understand your words reveal your heart. Your words expose, show, reveal what's going on inside. Sinful speech flows from a sinful heart. I'm not sure where exactly you are in your Bibles right now, but turn back to James. Turn back to James. And look over to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We haven't gotten there, and, but I think he brings up a good point that is applicable to what we're hitting on. James 4, verse 1, it says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It's like, okay, think about this right now. What causes fights between people? 
I mean, in, in response to the context of what we've just been discussing, you probably think it's our words. What causes fights? What causes quarrels? I mean, harmful speech, destructive speech. That's not where he goes. He says this, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Say, hey, you've got these conflicting desires within you. You desire something and you don't have it. So what do you do? You murder. You covet something that's not yours and you can't obtain. It's not yours, not rightfully yours. So what do you do? You fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. It says, so basically it's saying, what is the start of fights? Where does that come from? Is it our words? It says, no, it's our sinful desires, our sinful passions. You see, we all inherently within us have sinful desires ever since Adam and Eve. And these desires go towards things that we shouldn't desire. It's like, think of coveting, for example. I have this desire of wanting something that's not mine. And see, if I have a desire, that leads to like an expectation of like, oh man, that thing should be mine. I expect that to be mine. And guess what? When expectations turn into unmet expectations, oh, well, it's not mine, but I feel like it should be mine, causes us to do things such as steal, take things that aren't ours. You can do all kinds of example, examples like that. And you think about sin, the root of our sin are these passions and these sinful desires that then flow out to, with our bodies doing things that we shouldn't, or even with our words. So where do our sinful and destructive words come from? Sinful passions and desires within us. I deserve better. Turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15 shows us that what really needs to be fixed is not just thinking more about our words, but man, we need to address our hearts. Matthew 15, verse 10, he says, He called the people to him, Jesus, and said to him, Send to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. So these Pharisees were so concerned about what you're supposed to eat. So following the old Levitical law and saying, hey, you've got to be careful like what you eat. Like, eat this, don't eat that. Jesus said, hey, it's not what you eat that defiles you or is wrong. It's what comes out. Verse 17, drop down a little bit. It says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth, think of a food, you chew it up, passes into the stomach, goes down, swallow, down in, and is expelled. Okay, maybe don't think about that too much. It's like, it's like, passes through. Verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Your words, where do they come from? Your heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Say, hey, you're so focused about what, you, what you're eating. What really needs to be fixed is your sinful heart. Go to the root of the problem. It's like last year when I was, um, before I got married, living with a couple roommates, and we had some ant problems every now and then. You know, you wake up and you go look at the cupboards, and it's like, oh, man, ants are in, the, in our food. Like, ah, frustrating. A couple times, try to 
say, what do we got to do to fix the ants? I would take um, like a wet paper towel and say, okay, let's follow the trail of ants. So I'd take down the ants and follow them around the, the kitchen, right up to the windowsill where they were coming in and plug it up. Okay, I've solved our ant problem. Well, guess what? A day later, you go back out there and, ah, oh, ants are here again. So you get a wet paper, wet paper towel, go again, follow the trail up to the windowsill. Oh, gone. No more ants anymore. I've solved the problem. It's like, you didn't really solve the problem. Okay, yeah, you don't see ants, but guess what? They're going to come right back. Why? Because you haven't gotten to the, the center of where, like, the ants are coming from. Remember then one time having to go to the store, one of my roommates brought some ant spray, and then followed it around inside, and then went outside, followed the windowsill from the second story of the building, followed it down onto the first floor, across our driveway, into the dirt, and then that's where the center of the ants were, and then had to spray all in there, get rid of all the ants. See, at first, I was thinking, oh man, if I just do a little cleaning on the inside of my house, that's, that's going to deal with the ants. No, it's deeper than that. So too with our words. If you say, man, my speech is, is harmful, it's destructive. Well, where does that come from? A sinful heart. You need your heart to be changed by Christ. You need a new heart. Yeah, you have sinful passions. You need new desires. Christ to give you new passions. How does that happen? By turning from your sins, repenting of your sinful speech, your sinful desires which cause those words, thinking, oh, I deserve better than this. Yeah, this wrong thing that happened to me, uh, it's, a lot of it's pride. Repenting of that and saying, Christ, give me new desires. Change my heart. And God's willing to answer that prayer if you pray that humbly and say, I'm giving my life over to you, God. Change me. Be the Lord of my life. You need to be forgiven by Christ. It's easy for us to just say, oh yeah, I'm gonna just try to work on my words a little more. No, you gotta, it's deeper than that. It's like trying to put a Band-Aid over a gunshot wound and say, oh yeah, I fixed it. <laughs> really? I think there's more. So too with our words. Fix it by giving your life over to him, turning from your sin, putting your trust in Jesus. And guess what? If you have done that, if you're a believer, you're right with God, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you never say anything wrong again because James 3, when he's talking specifically to believers, he's saying, hey, believers can't say, hold up a platform and say, yeah, I've perfectly tamed the tongue. No, guess what? We still do sinful speech. But whenever... It's lesser than before we're saved, but we still say things that we, ah, I should have pulled that back. But when we say things that we shouldn't, even as believers, we should say, okay, what is the desire of my heart that is causing me to say that thing that I shouldn't say? I need to evaluate that. Confess your sin, pray to God, ask him to change your words. And then after that, once you are right with God, Moving forward, your entire life is his, and that includes every single aspect of your words you should give over to him. Point number three, submit every word to Christ. Submit every word to Christ. 
James 3, verse 7 says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is the restless evil full of deadly poison. Think about it. No human being can tame the tongue. Well, then, how can I have control over my words? Well, you can't do it. You are not able to do it because no human being can. But who can tame the tongue? The one who created the tongue? The one who gives you the ability to speak or not to speak? The one who created us? The one who made us? The Lord over everything? He's the one that can tame the tongue. If you submit your life to Christ, you give it over to him. Guess what? You're indwelled by the Holy Spirit who gives you the ability to resist sinful speech and to say no. And you should say, man, now that my life is his, I'm doing what he calls me to do. Every time I open my mouth, I want to be thoughtful and say, man, is this pleasing to God, pleasing to Christ or not? You need to ask yourself that question. Jesus is to be our Lord Lord, that's like our master, like our boss. He's the one in charge. Everything should follow suit under that. Imagine if you were an administrative assistant for a government employee. So think about it. Your boss is high-ranking government official. And and that government official says, hey, as my admin, we just got a, a, a gift basket from Canada. So, so you work for the American government. Canada just gave us a gift basket. I don't have time to write a thank you, but can you log on to my, log on to my, my email and send them like a thank you, thank you letter, a thank you email? Can you write that up for me? You say, sure, yeah. Yeah, I'll write that for you. I'll send it on behalf of you. And then you start thinking, what's the gift basket they gave us? Oh, a bunch of, like, you start thinking like, gift basket was kind of lame. Like, who needs syrup? Like, whatever. Like, I don't even like Canadian bacon. Like, why does it got to be Canadian bacon? Like, oh, this, the pride of these people. Come on. No one even likes hockey. And you're like, forget this nice thank you letter that the, my boss asked me to write. I'm going to go on the attack and say, yeah, we, we don't like all these things that you sent us. This is awful. We're done with our relationship. Like, forget you. Next day. You're going to try to like, lock, like check into the facility with your key card, and it's like, you can't get in. It's like, <laughs> fired instantly. Why? Because your boss said, this is how I want you to write this email, and guess what? You decided to do your own thing. It's not your authority. You're literally on their account, supposed to be speaking the words that they want you to speak, and you're doing your own thing. We need to think of our words as a stewardship from God. That God has, has given us the ability to speak, because guess what? There are people in this world, mute people, not able to speak. That's the lot that God has given to them. Or special needs people who are not able to speak. Well, we have the ability to speak. God's given us that ability. How are we going to steward it? Are we going to use it for good or for harm? I mean, if Christ has forgiven us of our sin, we should say, man, I want to use my words in a way that is honoring to him. I think a great passage that we should think of our words through the lens of is 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Believers are to be characterized by love, so too is our speech to be characterized by love. And whenever you see the 
word love in this passage, as I read it, I want you to almost replace it with your words and ask your, yourself, are your words these things? 1 Corinthians 13, I'll read verses 4 to 7. It says, love is patient and kind are your words. Love does not envy or boast. How about your talk? Love is not arrogant or rude. How about your speech? Love, it does not insist on its own way. Do I? Love, it is not irritable, resentful, It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Is that a good description of our speech? If you're right with God, hopefully you could say, man, that that is characteristic by and large of what I say. But even as a believer, you're not going to be perfect with your words, but can this be our goal? Can this be our focus? Can this be the filter through which we think through our words? So you can have that sort of speech if your life has been changed. One last verse, Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you belong to Christ, you're a believer, you can put to death, which means say no, to sinful passions, sinful desires that cause you to say things that you shouldn't. Only can happen by the power of Jesus. Have you guys ever seen this thing before called the the food pyramid? Food pyramid. This thing came out in 1992 by the U.S. Department of Agriculture trying to help people to uh, live a healthy lifestyle. And so they put together this food pyramid, I believe it's in 1992, um, to say, hey, this is... If you want to be healthy, this is what you should eat. And you've probably seen this before. It's in a lot of textbooks and it's changed over time. And at the bottom, it said, if you remember, uh, grains. Remember this? It's like, if you want to have the base of your, your meal, grains. And it was like 6 to 11 servings of grains. And then on top of that was like fruits and vegetables, which was like 2 to 4 servings of fruits and vegetables. Then on top of that was, was meats, and you should have this amount of meats. And then at the very top was like fatty foods, and it was like only one serving a day. Um, so it's taught in textbooks, taught in schools, widespread as here's a great pattern to, um, to base your, your healthy lifestyle, your, your food intake off of. What came out, though, is, is it's a lie. It's a complete lie. It's not true. What came out in 1992 by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, what came out later, years down the line, is um, that food pyramid was highly influenced because the Department of Agriculture by these, these grain farmers who wanted people to buy a lot of products. So they said, hey, you know what we should put at this foundation? Grains. I mean, think about that. I mean, we just took it for granted. Six to 11 servings of grain a day. Imagine eating like six to 11 bowls of pasta a day and like that was a healthy lifestyle. Like what's the audacious? Like, like a muffin. It's like, that's so much like, grain. Like, but think about that. I know it's changed over time, so it wasn't like erroneous. They've updated the food pyramid, and now they show like the my plate and grains is like a smaller portion than six to 11 servings a day. But think about that. All because they decided to put out this food pyramid and say, this is the healthy way of eating. Think of how many people bought into, man, this is the healthy way. 
I got to be doing it. I got to follow after it. I mean, probably some of the most unhealthy people eating 11 muffins every day. Like, it's like awful. I mean, think about the impact of that one thing that it had on so many people. I mean, that right there is a helpful correlation to the impact that our words can make. Very destructive, very damaging. One word, one phrase can have. If you learn this now, you master this now, man, you're going to keep yourself out of so much trouble moving forward. Not put yourself in so many quarrels and fights. If you, first off, surrender your life to Christ, are given these new desires, you say, man, I'm going to focus on submitting every single thing that I say to whether Christ would be pleasing, pleased with it or not. Let's pray. God, I ask that we would recognize that the root of our sinful speech is a sinful heart and sinful desires, and that that can only be changed by the power of Jesus and his payment on the cross for us. God, I pray that if there are students in this room that aren't right with you, that they would submit themselves to you as Lord today, that they would repent of their sins and put their life in your hands. But God, I also pray for the believers in the room that have done that, that they would daily say, is my speech, are my words honoring to to Christ? Help that to be the filter by which we talk moving forward. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.